best chances to run from this place. In Shadyside, we're all cursed. The devil is in me. Any sense you're fighting these things? Try not to die. Welcome to the suck. Yes, welcome to the suck indeed. Welcome to shows which you know, uh, a Fear Street fable. My name is Jim Scampoli, and I love watching horror films. My name is Jacob Burrows, and I never watch horror films, but I have watched all of Fear Street Part 2, 1978, and Part 3, 1666. <laughs> I feel like the naming convention is is good when you see it like written down, and then when you try to go like Part two and then a year it just gets confusing so we're just gonna say it's all of fear street we did an episode already talking about the first part this time we're combining parts two and three all the rest of it and chatting about all of it so if you want a spoiler free section check check out our previous episode at showswhichyouknow.com um but in this one i think we're just gonna we're just going to dive into the whole rest of it and everything else that happened in Fear Street. Does that make sense, Jim? Yes, that makes sense. And actually, before we even dive into part two and part three, I want to talk a little bit about the project in general. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I didn't realize this, or I guess I kind of knew this and forgot, whatever. But uh, this was initially supposed to be a theatrical release, and they were going to do one a month last summer. But obviously... Right. You know, COVID happened, so movies were not coming out in theaters, and it was going to be distributed by uh, Fox, but then Fox was bought by Disney. So, you know, two monkey wrenches thrown into the system, but here's Netflix to save the day. And we talked a little bit about this talking about part one, but it's cool that Netflix was like, yeah, all right, we'll give them somewhat of a window where we can release them without just dropping them all at once. So you see a little bit like... I think it's such a cool idea if they did get to do theatrical and it was like one a month. I mean, I don't know if people like to go to the movies as much as me, but I think that would have been exciting. It's still cool the way they did it here. Uh, what's up, Kal-El, in the chat? We're live on our shows, which you know, YouTube. but love to see it. Um, but it's cool that still we got this like three-week summer event. So I just want to give shout-outs to that because I think it's a very cool idea, very cool release strategy, and I hope we see more things like that uh, in the future. Yeah, and it's interesting that the change and and what it would have meant because I was thinking about, like, part two and wondering, would I have enjoyed it as much if I couldn't move on? Like, would I have felt I'd gotten my movie tickets worth from part two? Um, Just because I I didn't think it was bad or anything, but at the same time, I was kind of like we're kind of in the same spot now that we were at the end of part one and to be fair at the end of it i was like oh no some of the stuff in there was actually more relevant like it comes back around and yeah and makes sense uh but like just at the time i was like it is essentially a flashback the third one doesn't have that problem but when we were talking about them before we were like very glad that the current timeline was continuing so we didn't have so it wasn't just like a flashback for the whole film but Film 2 is essentially a flashback for the whole film, which kind of makes it a bit difficult to get invested from my perspective. But actually, maybe in a movie theater, it would have been like it is such a different setting. And as I said, I never watch horror films. So just because I talked about last time, it's not not my favorite genre. I don't dislike them, but I don't seek them out either. So I probably wouldn't have seen it in a theater. But then I'm like, if I saw it in a theater, I actually probably would have 
been way more spooked and engaged as well with all the scenes with all the darkness and like loud noises because on your netflix screen on my laptop screen i'm like yeah this is this is fine but then maybe there i'd be way more engaged so i i don't know it was just an interesting uh, thought of how it well, might have worked differently because part two might be my favorite just because of the vibes the summer the camp, vibes are great yeah yeah, yeah. The, the summer camp slasher vibes i think they nail the best uh, but I do, you're right, just talking narratively as far as like plot wise and stuff like that, it does put things on hold a bit, especially if you're, mm. you know, gearing up to see what's going to, how things are going to play out in 1994. Um, somewhat on topic, somewhat off topic, but I did want to also, before I forget, I wanted to call out the director, uh, Lee Janiak. I'm not sure I'm saying her name correct or not. Do you know who she's married to? No, who? One of the Duffer Brothers. Shout outs. Oh. Netflix. Uh, the Netflix power couple. If you don't know, Duffer Brothers, uh, creators of Stranger Things. A couple Stranger Things alum uh, in mm. these movies as well. Uh, but I thought that was kind of a weird little little connection, connection there. Um, and she does talk about how she doesn't want it, the Fear Street trilogy to end here. She hopes to create the horror spin on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now, on one hand, I roll my eyes at that because everyone's trying to do their own spin on the Marvel Cinematic yeah. Universe. But if anything, these were, I think, in the end, very well done. There's definitely some nitpicks you can have here. Uh, I would welcome it with this because I'm still jonesing to see more of some of these killers that they hint at uh, through the history of you know Fear Street and some of the different like takes on slashers that have come up with. Plus, I'm sure there's some other things they can go around because now that we know the the mystery of Sarah Fear, that wouldn't be as interesting. But um, I'm ready to see some more of these killers and some of the other stuff they have in store for us. Yeah, and even beyond that, like I mean, I haven't really read R.L. Stein books, but I know there's a, a lot of them, right? So there could be a lot of source material if the if you want to like sit in a room and come up with ten ideas for horror films that are R.L. Stein books, but we make it fucking dark and adult. I'm sure you could come up with loads of great ideas from that and make them all interconnect in a sort of uh, you know Marveler Stephen King kind of way. Could yeah, be really cool. Absolutely. Um, on the second one. I totally agree on the vibes. Never been in a summer camp, but like I have watched The Parent Trap like a hundred <laughs> times. So, so I still, I already, I feel like I have a weird nostalgia tied up in it, even though I've never been, just from movies. Um, <laughs> and so I'm watching at the start of this. I'm just going, this is so cool. I want to watch a film that's just this. Too bad, too bad people got to get murdered. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, one thing I think they did leave us hanging on. I mean, because again, we're, I, I'm sure we'll kind of jump back and forth between two and three because we are discussing them as a whole now um with britta from uh from community who's what c Britta's in this c yeah. berman or you know well she yeah. was ziggy that was like the twist i mean i, I kind of saw that coming not to be that I, douche I, i'll i'll get into that in a sec sorry yeah. go on <laughs> but there's there's some things that's left handed left hanging with that character um now because like she had all these clocks around her house and i get that like obviously she's suffered this trauma you know from the 70s she lost her sister everyone thinks she's crazy like it's understood that she's weird but i thought they're hinting at more of like some sort of supernatural element to what happened to her because she has all these clocks she won't leave her house um 
I mean, I guess part of it's because she's counting down the days. She keeps like marking on her calendar how many days it's been since it's happened. But I was waiting for some sort of reveal on that that never really came. And maybe, I mean, I assume that's just me. I don't, I, I just felt like there were these details. I was waiting for it to amount to something and it kind of didn't. I guess it was just more about that she's kind of eccentric because of the trauma she experienced. Yeah. And like at the end of the first film, which uh, I, I think the first film might be my favorite still um, yeah. because it introduces a lot of stuff in, in a fun, interesting way. And two and three, I, I think, do a good job of expanding upon it. But still, uh, at the end of the first one, they, she calls uh, our main characters, right, and says that um, it, it's never over. The witch never lets you go. And then uh, uh, Sam is possessed uh, after that. So... But but like seems like she was fine after this, you know. Yeah. At least it's never really mentioned. But to be fair, she still lives in Shadyside, which there's a serial killer every couple of years, so it makes sense to double check your locks and so on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but still, like, she she didn't really have a reason to go. Like it's never going to be over. And Sam becoming possessed after the fact is not something that happened to her or something similar like it. So um, I don't really know what what that was about I, I mean it was probably all about just accelerating us into film two to be honest but yeah I, I can see where you're coming from it's not fully resolved all the clocks kind of indicate she's OCD about checking making sure she's safe or what have you but uh they don't really get very into it yeah I guess it was almost like little red herrings because that's what I was expecting to see how the curse was still affecting her um, you know, uh, years later. Although I had to keep reminding myself because you start to think like, okay, we're flashing back to 78, but here we are in present day. And it's like, well, no, present day is not now. It's, you forget it because it's like, oh, she's, wouldn't she be way older now? It's like, oh, no, no, I we're at 94. Yeah. Too. <laughs> it's like, no, we're just going to 94, which, yeah, 16 years later, but still, it's not like jumping here to 2021. Um, but yeah, I mean, they nail like the Friday the 13th, uh, summer camp slasher vibes. Um, the, and there's a lot of child death in the second one. It is handled off screen. And I'm glad to see that online people were really bummed about that nerdy kid that gets, that gets killed after being bullied. I don't know if you remember that, like the little fat yeah. kid with glasses. He gets like egged. And then you kind of expect that. He won't get killed, but he just immediately gets murdered. And, you know, that that hurts because we're all that kid. That's all of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's great. People were sad about us. Were yeah. they sad, like, in a way of, like, this is bad filmmaking? Or were they sad, like, that was an efficient way of uh, making us upset about the death? Yeah, no, it was just an efficient way of being, like, bummed out. It just showing how yeah. savage the movies were. Because I do wish there was a little bit more gore. In the second one, I'm kind of a gore hound. That's why I enjoy the bread. Like, the bread slicer kill in the first one is the best kill of the whole series, yeah. which is fine. Um, and also, I mean, besides just graphically, the graphic violence of it, uh, it's like the best character that dies as yes. well, in yeah. my opinion. You know, out of all yeah. the characters that die. And it, so it, it's just extra good from that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, a lot of it's kind of off screen. I don't know if that's like budgetary reasons or because it is child death. I, it wouldn't be as fun if we did see some of these <laughs> young kids getting completely butchered on screen. Um, uh, a quick, quick plug for myself, by the way, 
Um, I'm sure other people have hopped on this by now, but on my Tee Public page, if you search Jim and them on Tee Public, I do I do have my Color War '78 shirts. You can either oh. get your blue for uh, Shady Side, or you can get your red for Sunnyvale, or why not get both? I thought that was a pretty clever idea on my part because when I saw those uh, Color War '78 shirt, I was like, I need one of those. Yeah, they. That's actually a really good idea. <laughs> that because uh, they are very fun, and I always love when like merch is in universe. You know. Yes. Um. So that that's really cool. Um. What was I going to say about the second one? I forget actually. Tell me what I missed because I have not seen Friday the Thirteenth. I don't watch horror films, so well, obviously I know that's at a summer camp. But like. Any Easter eggs or just references that would have gone over my head? Well, in Friday the 13th Part 2, I mean, because Jason, if you know Jason Voorhees, obviously, now one of the things is in Friday the 13th Part 1, Jason Voorhees is not the killer. I mean, they cover this in Scream, but it's uh, his mother. Uh, Jason's mother is the killer in that movie, and that's like kind of the twist. Uh, right. Because they let her, you know, the counselors were hooking up, doing drugs, and they let her son drown. And then in the second one, we have Jason, but Jason does not have his hockey mask. He doesn't get his hockey mask until the third one. He does have a burlap sack over his head. So mm. the 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 axe slasher in, in this is, feels like a very direct reference to that, um, although his axe is obviously very reminiscent of The Shining. Uh, that's what it reminds me of the most. Um, but, yeah, I think that's a big part of it. And then, I mean, they kind of play around with the idea – because it's it's well trodden territory that the trope is that the final girl is usually the virgin or the the good girl is the one that lives, yeah. and they they even call um because what's Ziggy what's Ziggy's sister's name because it's C Berman, Cindy Cindy yeah so like they, they even have like the kind of the bad girl character call Cindy like a virgin at one point when like you know. They're supposed to be like getting the camp ready, but they're having sex or whatever. So, you know, they, they have strong implications like, oh, this is Cindy. She's going to live, blah, blah, blah. And of course, they kind of throw a little bit of a twist at you there. Um, so uh, just kind of basics like that. I'm sure there are a lot more specifics. I'm actually going to do a rewatch Friday the 13th. I haven't watched the early ones in a long time, but those are like the the glaring ones that they're they're throwing cool. out there. And um, what about the needle drops? Because I I started hearing them in the second film because of you, essentially. Yeah. Um, so did did they keep annoying you, or did you feel like they was there was a, a good amount of needle drops? You know, for whatever reason, it didn't. Well, maybe number one, it didn't annoy me because I was already aware of it from the first one. But I yeah. feel like it's probably more of a personal thing because. I grew up in the 90s or, you know, it's just more of a reminder that I'm old. So I get annoyed because they're they're doing these needle drops that are songs I remember being on the radio or whatever. But here it is. This is almost like a period piece to other people, you know. So maybe I'm yeah. just more annoyed because it's reminding me I'm old. Whereas in the 70s, they can play all the 70s rock. And I'm like, yeah, this is really setting the time. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fun. I I also feel like it's maybe 
Well, no, I, I, I didn't. They, they weren't that egregious as the film went on. I think it just kind of starts out, and because there's not as much like horror film music happening, then yeah. they, they use more of that at the start, and then it's more like fucking dun dun and that kind mm. of music coming in later on. But yeah, and um, a lot of the so, early jokes. Uh, sorry to cut you up. Before sorry. part three came out, everyone was like. Oh, can't wait for the needle drops in 1666. And I almost kind of half expected we we're going to hear like um, Westworldian type, like they were going to do folky versions oh, yeah. of actual songs. Thank God they did not do that. Uh, Dude, can I say the bucolic as the the uh, the subtitle is called it bucolic folk music, and I had to Google it, which means like of rural areas, pastoral type folk music. <laughs> it fucking slapped though in, yeah. in 1666. I really liked that music. I was like, holy shit, I need to get because it was like I've heard there's like a similar one, but similar ish like music in the new version of Emma, that Jane Austen uh, filmatization, which I'm not sure if you saw. More my speed than horror usually um so th there was some music in that that was also like damn this is fucking old school and it slaps <laughs> and that was also the feeling i got here so i kind of wanted to download that track when they're seeing the whole town and everything and everything's great before it goes to shit well and i believe the composer they got for all three movies is marco beltrami who also they i think they brought him in because he did the the scream score as well and i'm sure he's uh... maybe done some other big ones but yeah i think all of like outside of the the needle drops all the score is very good mm. um so let me say at the end of the of, of part two at the end of part two when at the end of the flashback when they're like wait you're ziggy i was genuinely confused i was like <laughs> were we not supposed to understand that she was ziggy because i yeah to be fair at the start i was like I assumed there was going to be even more connections to present day than there were with the characters like yeah. recurring in, in present day, that someone would be someone's mother. And I assumed I that, that I'm so confused as, as to why Martin is not at the summer camp. Uh, Martin being the sort of custodian at the mall, because they oh. make him seem kind of important in the first one. And then in the third one, he is important. But then also there's no reason <laughs> like there is. You assume he has a history with Sheriff Good or whatever. And because there's these confusing lines in the first one. But then he he just isn't at the summer camp. And I'm like, OK, I guess maybe he was younger than the other characters or, or whatever. I don't I don't know. Um, but I was genuinely like because they never say like my my name is cindy bergman or whatever they just she just talks about my sister so i'm thrown into I mean, it and i'm like i was like i'm not gonna keep track of who's gonna grow into who i'm just gonna like enjoy it and then yeah. like because i was like i kind of i was like i need to google make sure i know the characters and then i'm like i'm gonna be spoiled immediately if i do that so i'm just gonna let it wash over me and my assumption was that she was ziggy and she was ziggy so i was genuinely confused by the twist well the kids <laughs> did know her as c berman that's what she was yeah. in the in the uh phone book or whatever so that's why i guess you assume that she's cindy but it really is kind of like it doesn't even quite wash on why they don't even say it. Like they, I yeah, mean, yeah. I know they couldn't say it because it's not true. But I was, yeah. Sorry, I, I, I well, guess C and Cindy. But I just assumed from the characters and the tropes that it was the younger sister that would survive. Uh, and there we were. Well, and then even when they were zooming in at the end, and the two of them were lying there. I was like, oh, were we supposed to think that Cindy was supposed to wake up? Yeah, uh, I did her like her as a character. She was actually quite badass when she got started, right? But, um, but yeah, no, I didn't. But it even I, it was it like an anti-twist for me. It doesn't even quite wash on why, like, 
Nick Good would say that she's not Ziggy. Like, I don't even get in universe why he would say like she apparently she's living her life as Cindy when she was actually Ziggy. But I, I don't get why she would even do that. The only reason why that exists is to make it seem like a twist because they want you to think Cindy's going to survive the movie as the final girl, and then she's not. So I was kind of even confused on why Nick is like, because before she says, like, I'm Ziggy, like when the paramedics bring her back or whatever, and it's like, her name's Cindy. And she's like, Cindy? And, uh, like, I don't know. That I didn't quite fully get anyways. Wasn't it? Didn't he say Catherine or something? Or no? I thought Uh, he said Cindy. I could be wrong. We should double check that because I might also be wrong on that. But I thought it was more that Ziggy's a nickname. Uh, that's what I thought. But maybe yeah. I'm totally missing something here. They, let's uh, we'll, we'll pull it up. We'll double check. Yeah, it. you know what? You're right. Um, it probably is something like that where Ziggy's a nickname. And I just didn't even quite pick it up or get why. I mean, I know, like, obviously, because that would explain why they're saying C. Berman the whole time. So yeah. I think that it that helps me because I missed that because it's clear they only want to try it, this whole, you know, uh, like mistaken identity or whatever it is, is just so the audience thinks that Cindy's going to live. But it's not mm. clear, like, it's, it's, it's not even that, that much worth it to be there, but, you know, it, it, I guess... It just it is kind of still surprising because we're with Cindy through a lot of it, and then when she gets the fucking axe in the chest, it's like, oh shit! All right, here we go. Yeah, well, for, for me it wasn't because I literally assumed that when she said <laughs> yeah. my sister died, she was talking about Cindy. Yeah, uh, I don't know why I ended up with that, but that's like just tropes wise picking up on. Basically, I was not paying attention to the names as much as like the subtext of who the characters were. Because at the start of the flashback, we're not with Cindy, we're with Ziggy. So she starts it out, and she's running from people and getting strung up and burned, and we don't even see Cindy until a bit later. So I assumed that that was you know not her telling her own story but Um, yeah you're absolutely i did look it up you're absolutely right it's Catherine. okay so yeah i didn't have my subtitles on i know you watch your subtitles that explains it more because i'm thinking like are they is he switching their identity for no reason (laughs) uh but yeah so ziggy aka Catherine berman although i do see that maybe can c berman be trusted there's a chilling fear street part two theory that says otherwise i'm sure that's a great one uh, but we won't get into it right Actually, now. Actually, that, that, I, I feel like that was kind of what I was saying uh, at the end of last episode as well. I was saying something like, maybe C. Bergman is the one who's actually doing the thing at the witch thing. And we do get deeper into the lore. It's interesting how, like, the second film, it it works really well with the first one as far as we know the the rules. Like, it, they took them, like, the whole film of the first one to set up some of these rules. Yeah. And in the second one... I guess they're not they are expanded upon but like with hints and stuff you know the big beating heart that sort of creates uh recreates these killers and everything so I think the way they expand upon the lore makes sense but the like the whole thing of us not be us it it didn't land for us either of us the thing with the the twist of Cindy and and yeah. Ziggy um and that would be fine normally but I do think it kind of adds to the fact that the problem we predicted from film one still holds true to me which is that we are in a flashback and it's a little hard to get super invested or care too much true we kind of know who survives and who doesn't um but it's it's an enjoyable ride but uh yeah i, I don't know it, I, I think that's why it would rank a little bit lower for me even though 
I love the vibes all the same, as we keep saying. For sure. And then, I mean, we predicted this discussing the first one. We finally get to uh, have our character go through the, the Sarah Fear flashback. Because, I mean, we called it. I mean, we we, yeah. we also called that maybe we'd even see a future version. I mean, that didn't come to pass. Although, if they mm. do do this Fear Street MCU, I'm sure that's something we'll see. But when we got to see her, like, wake up in Sarah's uh, past and, like, see the reflection or whatever, I was like, hell yeah, we're great. We called it. Here we go. And, I mean, that leads us into part three. And I think it's been clear from the beginning that Sarah Fear was going to be a victim even if, like, in, we end up finding that Sarah Fear actually did nothing wrong at all, which is even better, in my opinion. That Put that I on a t-shirt, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sarah yeah. Fear did nothing wrong. <laughs> I also saw your tweet. I really liked it. Sarah Fear is a feminist icon. She totally is. <laughs> I, yeah. That was great. Uh, so it was clear that she was going to be a victim, but I still thought maybe because of the anger of, like, being done wrong that she was still a part of the curse. But no, she had nothing to do with the curse. Uh, which I think is kind of great, but I'm getting ahead of myself. We get mm. to have her live through like Sarah Fears, you know, flashback here, and then we get to have some of the actors from both part one and two pop up uh, as these other characters, which is the nice shorthand of like, okay, we get that these are like good people because we liked them before, so we don't have to spend a lot of time like explaining who some of the villagers are as we're, you know, back in 1666. Yeah, and I I liked how that was just kind of um, a detail of the magic. I mean, it worked out production-wise. You can bring these characters back. They're good actors. Uh, but it's also like, Sarah Fear, you, you are cast, D- Dina is cast in the role of Sarah Fear. So in, because this is all replaying in her mind, she sees the people she knows yeah. taking on these roles, which is just really interesting. I think it's kind of like a dream-type way of doing it but i i did think my prediction was that maybe we'd see more of a time travel aspect where she'd be i actually thought at the end of the second film she'd be trapped as seraphir but with her current consciousness yeah and then there would be kind of a haunting of hill house type time loop where she would end up uh you know it trying to stop what's happened but that causes it or uh, something to do with Sunnyvale we knew Sunnyvale was going to be evil um so something like that but so I was a little bit disappointed when we went into the start of 1666 and it was just like oh they're just acting it out um and also I had a I had a hard time taking it seriously at the start with some of the accent choices oh yeah yeah Um, I can see that but I I think it it got going well uh even though things did turn out very much as expected like it takes like an hour for us to figure out that Sunny Sunnyvale is is bad, which is like the first thing we said in yeah. the first discussion that there's two communities, one of them is prospering. Basic devil worship stuff <laughs> is that they're, you know, <laughs> they're sacrificing the town next door. Um, that was kind of the vibe we got from the start. Um, and that's exactly what was happening. I did think Sarah Fear would be more involved, that the hand would be more relevant um to the Kursks being set up i think i think it all made sense the way it played out uh overall it was uh, an enjoyable flashback part how did you find it well i agree with you but also like it's tough because um sometimes it being what you expected is more it's people will try to use that as a sign of like bad writing but it's actually good writing yeah. Because it's yeah. it's no, this is what we've been building towards. And 
it's almost okay that you can see the glimpses of why that is, and we're going to go through the journey to like get into it a little bit more. Like, it reminds me of something. I'm not going to spoil the end of Breaking Bad, but a lot of people say like, "Oh, they predicted where it was going to end," but that's okay sometimes because we're on a trajectory and you're building to something, you don't have to then pull the rug out from underneath you and change it. Don't get me wrong, sometimes that's great as well. Uh, so it's like a give and take either way. So, Because I was thinking the same thing. I was like, well, 1666 does kind of go into a lot of expected places, but not in a bad way. It's just more so these are themes and things they've been building on, and it comes to fruition in a certain way. One thing I do wish, I do wish... I like the completely like we have two movies that are different eras of slasher between like the 90s slasher and the 70s slasher. And now we're changing it up a bit and getting more into like a gothic horror type thing where it's a little bit more of a creepy vibe. I wish we got to be in that a little bit more Um, like with that creepy eyeless pastor and like what that entails. I wish there was just a little bit more of that. But this movie is essentially Fear Street Part 3, uh, 1666, but also 1994 Part 2, which I loved, though. I loved when that title came up, and it's like yeah. Fear Street, 1994 Part 2. <laughs> but since they have to like get all the lore and get these things out, you don't have as much time because like a gothic horror is more of a like sitting in dread for a bit. And they kind of have a little bit of that, but they also, like, we need to get things rolling because we've got to catch back up with 94 and then come to a conclusion. So my only little nitpick is I just wish there was a little bit more of the creepy vibes uh, with the 1666 portion. Yeah. If I could step back to what you were saying about, like, you don't always need to overcomplicate it. We I feel like we always bring it back to Westworld to some extent. Uh, mm. But really, any show with notions these days, if we're watching it, uh, we will often say exactly what you just said, which is along the lines of like, don't try to over, like, you don't need to overly complicate it. We just want a story that's well told. Yeah. In many ways, the simpler, the better, because you can focus on actually making it emotionally resonant and like a well put together film or TV show. Whereas anything that just constantly tries to do the unexpected is... Uh, usually just going to end up being shit um so just doing a good story (laughs) is is pivotal and i i do think they've done that because they do a good job even though they have slightly limited time in that they go back to 1994 and have to do all of this in in one film but like they do do a good job of actually setting it up as like this is a nice place to live at the start of this yeah everyone's kind of getting along they have secret like parties where they take blueberries or poisonous uh you know yeah. drugs in the woods which by the way the the pills in 1994 do you remember they called them blueberries oh they i have berries there that they take i did see the connection but i missed that they actually li- literally call them that that's cool yeah um but yeah they do a good job of setting it up as a good place to be and then like it's a witch hunt but like we've been building up to that and and it's predictable because it's a witch hunt but like we've been building up to that for ages and yeah it's also like pretty much telegraphed that solomon like sol means son uh he has split off we know shady side and uh and sunnyvale have split off so and he's talking about how the land there is going to be better. And like, yeah, we kind of know it's him. Once things start happening, um, we we can sort of figure that out. Um, but 
yeah, it, it it's kind of predictable, but uh, it doesn't. That doesn't really matter, I think. Yeah, because that's where like I do wish, because the only real character we know from Sunnyvale is Sheriff Good, um, and that kind of kind of ties into some of my nitpicks of Part One, where everything kind of felt empty all the time. Like there wasn't yeah. really any other. I mean, besides maybe um, what's um. Uh, oh, Sam. Besides Sam's mother, maybe like she's obviously like a snarling villain every time she shows up. But we don't. It's not like we know her too well. Uh, so it's like very limited in what it could be. And even by the end, I kind of wish like even though kind of Sunnyvale's getting their their comeuppance in a way. There's not enough that we know about them besides they have nice houses and you know they're rich pricks uh, or whatever. But. Uh, yeah, it doesn't really matter that it's not like this big reveal. Uh, the way things fit in place and the way... It, I guess it's more of a reveal that they don't do the expected, Like, because I totally expected that Sarah was going to put some sort of curse on the people or something like that. But it's more so, so yeah. that she puts a curse of... She, she puts a curse of the truth on good and his um, descendants and how... She, one day it'll come out and i mean it's it's smart use of subtext and you know whether you i'm sure someone could write their own think piece about the me too movement and how the truth will eventually come out and the way it sets people free and and yada 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 like it's it's it works it, it works on a few levels so that's cool and the truth is red moss yes um, yes i guess I, <laughs> well i mean that's um, the 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 people that love the slash fix, at least on Twitter, from what I've seen, they love that detail. It is a nice romantic detail that the red moss grew everywhere because, you know, that when they had their night, she had the little... And when she was buried, she had the little crown of moss and whatever. The, the slash fix love it. I guess on the other end, once 3 finally came out, there were people that were shipping good and um, Catherine or Ziggy because of you know 1978 and they're like look yeah. at y'all now like look at you look at y'all idiots now who are shipping uh good as being part of anything who's clearly evil good is evil <laughs> that line kind of made me roll my eyes that's annoying like, yeah, yeah we we knew that because you named the character good <laughs> you could have <laughs> hidden that better and had it be a real twist instead of having it be wordplay but at the same time because it is rl stein like i can't really yeah. complain about that sort of thing um my main question watching the third film was throughout like i was really wondering how much of the ending will be back in the standard time because i was like i hope it's a fair chunk of it that it's a lot of it i was really tempted to scrub along the timeline at the bottom and just see are we back in neon land um and i yeah so when we were back i as i said i thought more of 19 uh, of the 70s was going to connect to the 90s um which happened to some extent in that we we it was all about sheriff good i guess he did the curse even that night which i did not uh think at first yeah uh, i thought you know it was his father but his father's dead i think um at this point he's taken over they talk about how he's got a mantle this responsibility he's the heir apparent and, and all of that so it just seems like shit timing bro when you're yeah. at the actual summer camp where this is happening where yeah you need to sacrifice but uh i don't know maybe he set off a killer at an old folks home or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it like yeah 1978 just fleshes out more in subtle ways because that's where we see 
that's where we first see like the beating heart, right? Or do we see that in yeah. the first one? Yeah, and, yeah, no, it is. And kind of just those underground caverns a bit and how that plays into it. Um, and then why the hand, well, not why the hand, but how the hand's in like a different, uh, like where they find it. Um, I do like the touch of the hanging tree being in a mall. Uh, yeah. That's fun. I mean, that's different, but I think that's fun. So, yeah, it was just more uh, subtler ways and kind of filling in some of the blanks, at least a little bit of, you know, what this good family was doing, um, adding the names to the wall and all that shit. Yeah. Um, what did you think about the Konami Code reference? It's weird. Uh, I liked when they, fr- like, cause he met- the Konami Code he says in the first movie. Because yes, I remember he just didn't mumbled draw attention it. to it yeah. then and make it like a big thing, right? Which I liked. And then I didn't I didn't necessarily love when they called attention to it, but I didn't it didn't make me roll my eyes either. So I'll give them that credit. Did you roll your okay, eyes? Okay, what about what if you didn't roll your eyes at that? Did you at least roll your eyes when she wore a protective vest of horror books written by R.L. Stein? They were <laughs> the was... actual Fear Street books that she sellotaped to her body and they stopped her from being stabbed. Did you roll your eyes at that? To be fair though, were they actually not they weren't Fear Street because we see those books in the beginning of part one. Because But those are the Fear Street books. They just have they a take Fear Street off. Um, Which is fine though, they... because it also is similar to when they almost stab Maya Hawk, she holds one of the books up and blocks the, yeah. the stab. But yeah, it was a bit much. <laughs> it, I felt like it was just a bit much and a bit thrown in. Like the the idea of you know a book blocking a knife is just. I mean, to be fair, it is full of tropes. This obviously, but it's just such a thing that like throwing it in at the last second and expecting me to take it seriously when you're holding up the books that your film is based on and protecting yourself with them. Um, it was just very, I don't know. It, it was like, here's a theme. We threw it in at the end. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. There you go. Um, um, and I also never even made the connection. Uh, like we're, I guess we were supposed to kind of understand because remember when, uh, in the first one, when he's talking about the spray paint, I never even made the connection dude. of the spray painting the seraphir stuff on the wall until they spell it out for me in this third one i was like oh yeah that's why spray painted of course dude i had no idea why martin was in jail i had no <laughs> idea where they were saying these cryptic things to each other and yeah. that made me think these characters must have a history made me think we're definitely going to see some of that history in the flashback to their youth but no it was all he was like these are my spray cans and you're supposed to think it's like a joke, but then it was his spray cans. And I'm like, okay, was he in there for spraying? That was never clear to me that Martin was in jail for that. He was just kind of there. I may have missed something to be fair. Um, But yeah, no, I was really, and then when Martin shows up again, right? So there's this scene in the first film where uh, Dina's brother, what's his name? Josh. Um, Yeah, Um, I think so. So he, like, helps him get, like, a paperclip to, like, I guess, pick his handcuffs or something, uh, which seems like a bad strat when the sheriff definitely knows where you live. Um, but, but yeah, he, he helps him escape and gets a business card, and then they go to him. And I, I don't know why I expect there to be some sort of more layers to all of this, because it's literally like, I know a guy 
who well i guess yeah he works at them all so he'd have the keys that's why they go to him but he just immediately agrees to kill the sheriff and then it's just part of the gang and just the way he's included is just so strange to me given that he could have easily been in the second film as a younger person and given him a bit more context whereas now he's just like nah no he's just uh, a guy maybe yeah. i'm i mean he's maybe, a cool enough he's... character but i agree with you like it's just he they kind of wedge him in a bit yeah and then they so they have this plan with the water guns with blood that's cool but it also feels kind of like a repeat of the first film i was a little confused as to yes when when the killers are sent after someone they will go for them i we're we all know this but also there's obviously a bit of sentience to this where they're being sent after someone whose blood went on the witch's hand um so they're going after someone to make sure they don't hear the full story um because that's what sarah fear wants wants the truth to be shared and needs the hand reunited to do that i guess um but it was just kind of a little bit uh it didn't quite i forgot what i was gonna say but did did it did it make sense uh the whole way why did they like why did they all the killers walk past people again when that's already happened and they've been destroyed i guess we're supposed to assume that they're not sentient or smart enough but also satan or whoever is smart enough to send them after one specific person and it feels like they should then maybe be smart enough to figure out yeah we need to kill all of these people because they all probably know the big secret that you're trying to cover up yeah i mean i guess i just saw it i i i respect it because it's part it was an established rule so you kind of can't go against it so whatever the rules of this curse are it's that i mean they can they obviously give like there's two things that happen, and it's something we talked about in the first one that they needed to explain, and I feel like they did, where there's like the main offering that the good family does where they offer up a person every few years who then, you know, is taken over by the devil or a demon or what have you and becomes a murderer, and they kill a bunch of people and then kill themselves. Now, that's separate from when someone comes in contact with the remains of Sarah Fear and Sarah is trying to show them the truth. And then yeah. what happens is this malevolent force then pulls these souls it's already consumed to destroy these messengers to get away from the truth. So I feel like it makes sense. I don't think they could then throw in the like like a the devil's voice being like, but now I know that you know or whatever. I mean, I guess maybe they could. Fair. But I think it works. I think it works in the established rules of however these curses work and what's happening, that if you're not being seen as the person who's now, I guess, cursed by Sarah Fear's truth, that you're not a, a target. Unless you actively... The only time you become a target is if you like get in their way. Like If you physically like get in their way, like that's why... Um, in the first one, he almost gets sliced up by the singing uh, murderer yeah. because he like goes up to her and like touches her or does something like that. So I do think it was I wish that the first one already kind of did a cool thing of I don't want to say home alone, but I guess home alone esque where they got the mops out and they spread the blood around and they lured him in the bathroom and lit him on fire. So I think it undercuts this cool moment that they're building to here in the third one because we kind of already yeah. saw it. It is cool though when they start spraying the other killers with the blood and they have to fight. That reminded me of like um 
Cabin in the Woods or something like that, where you're playing around mm. a bit and kind of using some of the rules against the villain. I thought that was a nice touch, um, and that was cool. But I didn't have a problem with them using that thing again where the, you were kind of safe if you weren't in contact with the blood. <clears throat> no, you're, that's fair. You've convinced me. Uh, I don't want us messing with the rules necessarily. But speaking of the rules, was it clear to you that... I mean, it makes sense because it's the end of the movie, but does killing good really like break the curse definitively? Because so many goods have died through the yeah. years. Does he not have a son? Like, what is it that actually... Because clearly he has family, uh, but I guess it's the direct bloodline or whatever. So maybe if he doesn't have a son, then that is the reason that it would break. But I was not completely clear on why. Because th they never... To me, it was never clear that they were like, ah, oh, yes, we. they were like, we have to kill good, which I would agree with because he is the one actually making this happen. But the fact that it also made all of the uh, monsters disappear, uh, all of the slasher guys, uh, they all burst into flies. That wasn't necessarily super clear. But also, I'm not going to nitpick too much about it because I'm like, yeah, it's the end of the film. This makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. I mean, you kind of, that's left like that's that's like almost it's not quite a cop out, but it's similar to like in an alien invasion movie when they're like, we just have to destroy the mother ship and that kills all the other aliens. Like it's an easy way yeah. to like, oh, aliens have just are they're, they're on every continent right now. But if we kill the one ship, it just so happens to kill the rest. And I guess you could try to fill in the blanks of like, if he's the active, you know, person yeah, that's yeah. running the curse. But yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that you'd still have something. There's still a nitpick you could have there. The nosebleeds, I feel, is still fully... Like, 1978 kind of mentioned something about the nosebleed and something to do with the Seraphir lore. Um, they say that, yeah, when you're near the witch, basically, he, it makes your nosebleed. And I thought that the idea was that your blood needs to get on the bones for her to connect and show you memories. Yeah. But then I'm not sure that actually happened But the, at the end because I thought that was also what was triggering, you know, all the killers to go after someone. Um, so she would have an interest in making people's noses bleed, like when they were on the bus and Dina's nose bled in the first film. So that well, kind of adds up to me. That's kind of what I mean, because it's like blood is important, at least from the way it's established. Like, yeah, it's not just kind of touching the bones, but it's also like your blood, like you touching them in your blood. But then Dina's nose bleeds when she's on the bus. I guess it's because they're driving by or something. But yeah. I mean, I'm not going to harp on it. Um, uh, I guess it is kind of Seraphir reaching out to people to try to, you know, bring the truth to light. So I'll, I'll, I'll rock with it. Yeah. And on Sheriff Good, like, I don't have a problem with the fact that killing him ended the curse. That's not a big deal. It was more a little bit confusing for them knowing what the plan should be and setting up this plan and as you said it's kind of a rehash of what they do in the school in the first film yeah. which is I even though I I did actually really like the third film there was a point where like the the climax had been going on for a while in 1994 and I'm like what are we doing here yeah we're we're spraying them and then we're closing them in or uh, what's 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 the plan guys um and that's why i was like okay they they've definitely said they want to kill sheriff good and i do agree but uh are they really putting their eggs on that's gonna fix everything maybe, yeah. maybe i missed some lore or whatever but yeah yeah and then um, well what about how what is it is it mayor good that then just gets smashed with a truck right after when they come out of the house 
I thought that was just some random like. I'm pretty sure uh, it was supposed to be his because you know how his brother's in power. That'd be great. That's um, great if um, that's the case. Because it's but I mean it's if you want to like nitpick, it's also kind of like I expected almost they come out of the house and everyone's like, oh my god, you killed the sheriff! Like what? A, more shady yeah. killers have gone crazy, but things did work yeah. out because we we do want to see. The movie rises above the kill your gays trope because usually uh, the gays get killed, but the gays survive. So we don't want to see them end up in prison for ending the curse. But that was a high possibility because I'm like, oh, my God, you're just coming out. Here comes the more shady side fucking psychos yeah. uh, murdered our sheriff. But I guess yeah, no, that was my my reaction was like they're in this state where they've gone through so much trauma and shit that they don't care. But soon everything they're doing is going to be in court and they're going to be blamed for this and that. And then it's just like, nah, the, the curse is broken. And I guess they just because on the news, they're like, Sheriff Good was a serial killer or whatever. But yeah. like he never actually killed anyone with his hands as far as I know. So it's not like in the news they're like. And it was witchcraft from <laughs> Sheriff Good is was a witch. They don't say that, so I don't know exactly what they're blaming him for. But they're just pinning everything on him—an inconvenient target, as opposed to the convenient targets we saw in the first film. Yeah, I guess because it's also related to the first movie because they're um, uh, they're kind of show because it shows that you know the two people that died in that, like the school is kind of saying like in memory of. So maybe it's somehow tied to that and that's why it like cleared their names um mm. because you know we get a nice little montage of a happy ending here and i mean i was even yelling at the screen when they're walking out of the when they're like we did it we killed sheriff good and they're leaving the the witch area but they're leaving the book i'm like take the book but of course as you see you you watch through the credits right where your hand comes yeah, in yeah. and grabs the book so they're not done with you yet not by a long shot Who's grabbing the book, though, Jim? That's Who right. Who do you think it is? You'd have to assume the rest of the good family, like even if even if him and his brother, if, if that's his brother that gets hit by a truck, which I am I, almost positive it is, uh, <laughs> yeah. they, they, the other members of the family have to understand what's going on. So the good family is still, they're going to be out there. All right. All right. That's cool. Um, I think we're pretty much uh, concluded our discussion. I did want to say one last note on... Uh, Ziggy or Sadie Sink, who plays her, it's basically the same role as in Stranger Things. Um, and at first, I was like, her personality, I mean. Um, and at first, I was like, oh, she's just the same. And then I was like, I had a second thought of like, when any male character actor does this thing they're known for doing, I'm like, hooray, this is great. <laughs> and then I was like, maybe I should be fine with someone doing the same role twice. Uh, it's, you know, not necessarily her stepping out of her box acting-wise because she's still, like, the tomboy who's annoyed at people True. Uh, but actually is soft on the inside and what have you. Um, but, you know, I was like, it's not her stepping out of her box, but it can still be a good performance. And I, I do think that it was. It was just a funny second thought I had where I was like, oh, just the same character from Stranger Things, more or less. And then I was like, oh, actually, that's... I should not be so petty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I can see what you're saying because I guess she has a big fan base because I've seen a lot of people on Twitter uh, uh, loving her and being in it. But I, I, I also get what you're saying. Um, actually, so yeah, I guess maybe it was someone's in the chat saying it was just a random person. So wh why does that happen then? <laughs> why does someone get hit by a truck? <laughs> um, 
Yes, that's it. The, the mayor was dealing with the aftermath, according to the news. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think so, that was just because showing that to show bad that stuff's going to happen in in uh, Sunnyvale now. And potentially there's been an accumulation of no bad things happening, which yes. will express itself more aggressively through, say, people getting fucking smashed with uh, lorries. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, it's a funny scene, but I just feel like what a weird thing if it is just a, I guess, it, I guess, yeah, it, it does show that bad stuff's now going to happen in Sunnyvale. So I suppose I would have, I would have preferred it was the, the mayor, but I guess I'm wrong. <laughs> So. But I get kind of the the vibe. I, oh, I get what you're saying. But, but then they wouldn't. Have, I don't think the mayor would have looked at them and be like, "Oh, who's that?" And just driven off because it's your brother's house. Yeah. But also, well, you actually want to talk about rolling your eyes. I rolled my eyes when they were talking about solid state drives in that scene at oh, the yeah. end. When is he selling MP3 players? Is that is he the inventor of MP3 players? And in, in that moment. I will admit I didn't quite follow. I was like, "Are they?" Because I know he, he doesn't. He doesn't like discmans. Like yeah, he doesn't yeah. like those. And then, I mean, we the girl comes up, and I guess we find out she's the one from the AOL chat, right? Because she puts the screen name yeah. on his cast. But she's talking about SSDs, and not to be that fucking guy, but uh, no, no one's talking about SSDs in 1994 in high school. I know she's this genius, kick-ass chick that he's been talking to you on the internet for a long time. But that's when I was like, no, enough of this. Thankfully, it was at the end where I couldn't get too worked up, but I did not <laughs> like that scene whatsoever. I feel like even 2004, people still weren't talking about <laughs> SSDs, really, you know? Yeah. Uh, but maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe some people were. On the truck crash, again, the reason it made sense to me was that it has this crossroads demon vibe where you get everything good for 10 years but then you're fucking fucked um and so that was kind of the the well, impression i got you've sure. had your 10 years of fame and fortune so now your town is not just going to be like you might randomly be hit by a truck but more like we need to balance all the good that you've had but that goes back to my criticism then like if we had more of a face for sunnyvale like yeah. if we at least had one other character who whether he was a news reporter or um, or if it was like Sam, it could have been like Sam's boyfriend that was groping her at the vigil or something. Like if it was just someone else, I would have understood that more. But I guess it still works as a random person. But that's why I'm grasping for like, was I supposed to know who the fuck that was that got hit by a truck? That's why I'm grasping yeah. at it. Like the only other person I know is Good's brother. Um, so, but yeah, what, what you're saying still makes sense. But that I think just leads more credence to some of my criticisms on more of a face for Sunnyvale and kind of the the privileged pricks that are getting all the all the good and none of the bad. Yeah, and I mean every single person in Sunnyvale is a piece of shit according yeah. to the films as well. Like they're constantly just it's not like they're fine with the shady siders like killing each other and just going, "Eh, whatever." They're like, "We're going to antagonize the shit out of them about the fact that they keep getting murdered and we don't." Um and then Sheriff Good is obviously supposed to be the one reasonable person, turns out to be uh the evil mastermind behind it all. So there's really no face left to 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 pin on like there is no hilariously there's no like beautiful merging of the two towns coming back together it's more like fuck Sunnyvale now shady siders are gonna rule yeah yeah it's very much like uh Pawnee and Eagleton in Parks and Rec but with a yes. bit more occultism yeah <laughs> uh but otherwise overall very good very enjoyable love the release strategy um yeah. 
just love the idea of having a trilogy of movies just ready to go. And it had, even if you have some, you know, quibbles with the flashbacks of part two being the main thing, it's mm. almost rare these days to have a trilogy that is planned out and yeah. shepherded by like, you know, a, not a ton of hands coming in with their own ideas. Like, you know, a group of people, creatives that sat down and made a trilogy from start to end. Because usually, and yeah. especially big trilogies, it's people kind of just figuring out as they go and it doesn't quite work that well. Um, so it was nice to see and I hope to see more from these filmmakers and, and even from these some of these characters if they continue with it. So I, I hope for it. That's such a good point where my nitpicks about like, oh, the rules should maybe have been this or that. Like imagine like any other end of a trilogy, whether it's Star Wars or Pirates of the Caribbean, yeah. like they don't give a shit about any of the rules established <laughs> in the first film. By the time they get to the third one, they're just like, ah, we got to end it somehow. Yeah, we do <laughs> so something. yeah, you're, you're very right. Seeing that consistency is uh, great. Um I think that concludes, yeah, most of our chats on Fear Street. But if they do expand it into an R.L. Steiniverse, um, I think we will probably cover more of it here. Uh, yeah. So you can check out showswhatyouknow.com for all of our coverage um, of random television shows at the moment. We're kind of bouncing between stuff as we're figuring out what to cover next. But we've also discussed every episode of The Sopranos. Uh, we've discussed every episode of Cobra Kai. And you can find all of that along with Real History, a podcast where we talk about historical films and television and talk about the real history behind that time and blank meets blank where we make up a new tv show every episode and all of that is at shows what you know dot com is there anything else jim um shit not really i guess there's just one thing i'll say is the truth will set you free <laughs> <laughs>